Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. It was Ed and Scott Cash with their band, Bring the Kingdom. They led us in worship at our leader committee weekend back in January, and we had the privilege of hearing from John Vickery, Executive Vice President of Young Life Field Ministries. This is talk one of three talks that he shares with us. I'll say this talk, I've never felt more encouraged in the ministry that we do in Young Life. So I hope maybe you can take some notes or listen to this on a long drive, or maybe you're going for a run, and I hope it just encourages you in what we get to do. One of the many highlights of our weekend will be getting to worship more, and uh, thanks to them and how they will lead us. Whew, there are a lot of you. Uh, I was talking a few weeks ago to Newt Crenshaw, president of Young Life, and telling him I was going to be here this weekend and how many people we were expecting, and he said, is that the biggest Young Life leadership ever? I said, I can't think of a bigger one. So welcome to the biggest Young Life leadership weekend ever. Okay. I am uh, so thrilled, honored to be a part of this with you. It means even more that it's here in the Carolinas region because I am forever indebted to Young Life in the Carolinas because the impact it had on my favorite person on the planet, that'd be my wife. Uh, Carol grew up in Charlotte, went to Young Life at East Mech High School, went to UNC Charlotte, became a Young Life leader, and worked at South Mech High School. Shout out. And she was uh, forever impacted by people like Greg Kimberg and Gail Merrick and Ty Saltzgiver and Ray Siegler and Lynn Barkley. And you go before that group of people all the way back to Mal McSwain, all the way to present day to Steve Gardner, people who have the heart to lead young life in this region. And to think that I get the privilege to stand here and represent those men and women and talk with you about what it is that you've said yes to. Uh, it is a privilege beyond words. I am so, so grateful. So 35 years ago, we are here for another weekend uh, to celebrate. There weren't quite as many people there at that celebration, but 35 years ago, uh, this is what happened 35 years ago, June 18th, 1983. My wife and I were married. There's a picture, I think, that's coming of, there we go. I see it here. There we go. 35 years ago, yeah, thanks for the two people that are clapping. I appreciate that. Uh, one of us in this picture has not changed much, and that would not be me. Uh, so 35 years later, fast forward, we came back this summer, July 21st, 2018, for another wedding. Uh, in the middle of the picture, the bride and groom, our, my son Michael, our middle son, got married to Banner Burleson uh, right down the road. And I want you to meet my family. On the left is Reagan, our daughter-in-law, who's married to Clark, next to her. On the far right is Mish, our daughter-in-law, married to JC, our oldest son. Next to me, just to be clear, that is not my wife. She would have changed a lot if that was my wife. That's my mom. And so, and then on the other side of Michael is my wife, Carol. As you can see, uh, she's more beautiful today than she was 35 years ago. So I could not be more thrilled, more indebted uh, to all of uh, Young Life and all the history here and how it's impacted me and my family. 
Uh, what's also amazing about that picture, I think about my family, is uh, what God has done to answer our prayers. I got lots of gifts at Christmas, a lot from my family, and the one that sort of touched me the most, the one that I, I kind of had to fight back some emotion, was a picture of our three daughters-in-law. And when I thought about what those three women represent, the way God has answered our prayers, Carol and my prayers, our boys' prayers, how he has given us more than we could ask or imagine, these three incredibly beautiful women, beautiful in every sense of the word. It's shocking when I consider where our boys started, their history with girls. Uh, They came from different places. If you have children, you you probably know this to be true. Once you have one child, you think your second child is going to be just like your first one. Until you have your second one, you think they're not like them at all. Like, they're all very, very different. All their boys are different in so many ways. They were different when it came to girls. Our oldest son, between birth and graduating from high school, had one girlfriend only. That relationship ended after high school. He had one other girlfriend who became his wife. He was a one-woman man, as the country song goes. Our middle son, Michael, we lost track of how many girlfriends that boy had. He came in one day, I think it was middle school, and he said, Dad, I think there are six girls that like me right now. I thought maybe I should give him a high five. That's my boy. I mean, what do you say? And, and then I started thinking, you know, Michael, that's not going to end well for you. Our youngest son, Clark, uh, had a very different style and strategy with girls. Found out in early middle school, he comes in, and, and uh, we were talking, and I said, Clark, do you have a girlfriend? He goes, yeah, I do. I went, really? What's her name? He told us. I said, well, tell me about her. He told us some things about her. And I said, well, does she like you? He said, I don't know. I said, well, what do you mean? You don't know. How do you have a girlfriend and not know if she likes you? He said, hey, Dad, I just pick out a girl and decide she's my girlfriend. And, but I would never talk to her. That would ruin everything. And I thought, Clark, that's just weird. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, that's not really that weird. That's actually kind of smart. And then the more I thought about it, that's just not smart. That's genius. Like, my son is genius. You think about it. You never have to worry what kind of mood your girlfriend's in. You're not talking to her anyway. If you miss an anniversary or Valentine's Day or Christmas, it doesn't matter because she doesn't know that you're her boyfriend. And if you want to change girlfriends, a new girl walks down the hall, she's your new girlfriend. There's no drama. There's no friends mad at you. Clark, you should do this until you're like 25. When you're 25, find a girl, tell you love her. If she says she loves you, get married. You will save yourself a whole lot of money and a whole lot of heartache. He didn't listen. Not long after that, he actually talked to a girl he liked, and she talked back to him, and they liked each other, and that was his first girlfriend. And first girlfriends always end the same way, almost always. It's first breakup. And it's the worst kind when they break up with you. And she did. I remember our ninth grade son sitting on the couch in our home, uh, sobbing like a baby because his heart had been crushed. It's the hardest part of being a parent, watching your kids' hearts get broken, uh, or maybe uh, watching them do things that break your heart. We have friends that have three boys like we do, and they told us it was their middle son, the one they were most concerned about. He's the one they thought would be most likely to follow the crowd, most likely to get in trouble. And so the mom wasn't shocked. She was sad. She was disappointed. She was hurt the day she found a pill in his pocket while she was doing his laundry. 
It was not a pill that she recognized. She called her husband and said, I found this pill. He said, I'm on my way home. I'll be there when he gets home from school. He gets home from school, and the mom and dad are there in the kitchen. It's not a good sign when you come home from school and your mom or dad are in the kitchen. They said, son, sit down. They had a plan worked out. The dad takes out the pill, and he says, we found this in the pocket of your pants. You have one chance. If you don't tell us the truth about what drug this is, how long you've been taking, we will walk down to our friend, the pharmacist, we'll find out, and we'll get you the help you need. You have one chance. Slide the pill across the table, and he looks at them, and they can't really tell what's going on in his head. He gets up, and he goes over and gets a glass, and he fills it with water, and he comes back, and he sets it on the table, picks up the pill, drops it in, turns into a dinosaur. It was one of those little pills that's like a sponge. You put it in water and it expands. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how relieved they were? Can you imagine how much they've laughed about that story since? And what happens when the pill's not a dinosaur? What happens when teenage drinking becomes teenage alcoholic? What happens when recreational drug use becomes addiction? What happens when your son or daughter has sad days that become sad weeks and then sad months and leads to depression and you can do nothing to help them? What happens when this crush that seems so cute when it began becomes an obsessive, destructive relationship? What happens when your son or your daughter, who you raised to know the love of God for them, is running away from that as fast as they can. What do you do as a parent? You pray. Even if you don't believe in God, you pray that God would send someone to rescue, to save your child. What you're praying for is a young life leader. You probably don't even know it. On behalf of parents throughout the Carolinas, thank you for saying yes. You're an answer to their prayers. On behalf of all of them who were desperate, who prayed, God, please, would you send someone to rescue my child? Thank you for saying yes. I'd love to talk with you this evening to begin our weekend together and talk about what what have you said yes to? What does it mean to be on Young Life staff, to be a Young Life committee person, to be a Young Life leader? Where is it we're going together? There's a pastor who's uh, since deceased, used to say, whenever Jesus wants to teach me something, he always takes me on a trip. It's true in the scriptures. It's true in the life of Christ. So I want to invite you to come with me on a trip this evening. It's the same trip that Jesus invited his closest friends to come with him on. It's the same trip he's invited you on. When you said yes to Young Life, he's invited you on this trip. It's to a place that nobody wanted to go. It's to meet a person nobody wanted to meet. It's to find out when they got there, no one wanted them to stay. It's the same trip he's called us to be on. It starts in Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bible, Mark chapter 5, the heading over Mark chapter 5 probably says something like the healing of the demon-possessed man or the healing of the garrison demoniac. But actually the story, the account begins in Mark chapter 4. Would you listen with me 
to where it begins. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. And a furious storm came up. You know this passage. And the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Probably they screamed that to him. And he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Peace, be still. And the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still not believe? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this man that even the wind and the waves do what he tells them? You're familiar with that story that time when Jesus calms the storm. If you've been in a Young Life club at all, you've heard this as a Young Life talk. From the days of Mal McSwain to the clubs that happened this week, we've been talking about the calming of the storm to kids in Young Life clubs all across the Carolinas, all across the world. And usually we end our story with this statement, and they were terrified and said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But there are two questions I want us to think about this evening as we look at this passage. Uh, number one is, does Jesus ever take us into storms? It seems like he did that with them. Does he ever lead us into storms? And if so, why? If you're interested in that question, we're going to talk more about that tomorrow night. But the second question is, what would have happened had they turned back after he calmed the storm? What would they have missed? What if they said, that was unbelievable. Thank you so much, Jesus. We, we've survived the worst storm ever and gone back to their lives before the storm. What if the Christian life is more than just surviving the next storm? What would they have missed? Well, no way to know unless you read on. So read on with me in Mark chapter 5. You see, this trip wasn't just a trip to go survive a storm. It was a trip that began with a destination. Do you remember what he said? He called them together and said, let's go over to the other side. They had a destination in mind. And listen to where the destination was. And they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. You do a little research, you'll discover the region of the Gerasenes was not a popular place. It wasn't Myrtle Beach. It wasn't the Outer Banks. It wasn't Charleston. It wasn't Blowing Rock. People didn't plan their spring breaks about going to the region of the Gerasenes. In fact, it's a place nobody wanted to go. You couldn't find it on Expedia or Hotels.com. This was a place on the other side of the lake. It was the other side of the tracks. The people over there, they weren't like them. They had intermarried. They had different beliefs. They had different skin color. Nobody would go to the region of the Gerasenes. But Jesus and his friends, that was the destination. For almost 80 years, Young Life has had the privilege to go to places that nobody wants to go, to middle schools and high schools and colleges, because we know who we'll meet when we get there. Listen who Jesus meets when he gets to the region of the Gerasenes. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. 
The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tomb and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. They get to the shore of the region of the Gerasenes. They meet the last person you'd want to meet. Of all the people you'd want to meet in the region of the Gerasenes, this would be the least likely person you'd want to meet. But it's the very person they went there to meet. I don't know all the issues with this man. He's got lots of issues. I can tell you a few of them. He's a man with no home. His address is a cemetery. He lived in the tombs. He's a man with no family. I'm not sure if they kicked him out or he just left, but he is alone living in a cemetery. No family, no home. He's a man whose society has failed. They've tried. They tried to bind him hand and foot, but he always broke the chains. And finally, at some point, it looks like they just said, okay, enough. You stay over there, we'll stay over here. And there was distance between him and society. And lastly, he's a man who had so much pain that he cried out and cut himself with stones. For almost 80 years, Young Life's had the privilege to go to places no one wants to go because we know who we'll meet when we get there. In middle schools and high schools and colleges all across the Carolinas, there are kids that are just like this man. There are kids that don't have a home. Yes, there are homeless kids in Carolinas. I hope we get to meet all of them. But there are also a whole bunch of other kids who live in a structure called home. But if you spend any time with them in that structure, you know very quickly that's not a home. It's not what God intended. There are kids in the Carolinas who don't have families. Literally, there are kids that don't know their mom and their dad, that have been abandoned, that have been orphaned. But there are other kids that live with mom and dad but are separated from their families. It's not the home. It's not the relationship. It's not the family God intended. And there are kids in the Carolinas who we have failed as a society. We've tried. Have you noticed lately the architecture design of most schools that we build? It's changed over the last 20 years. Somewhere along the way, it began to look more like prisons than places you'd want to go spend every day. Smaller windows, metal detectors, armed guards. We failed them as a society. And lastly, there are kids in the Carolinas who have a pain so deep that they cry and cut themselves. You know some of these kids. You, you pull up the sleeve and you can see the marks on their arms or tops of their legs or stomach. Some are old scars, some are fresh wounds. I, I don't get pain like that, but they do, and they have to express it some way. And there are kids in the Carolinas who tonight are trying to decide if tomorrow should be their last day to live. They already have a plan. You know, the suicide rate has grown 70% among teenagers in the last 10 years. You know, the highest people group that's grown in is African-Americans. There are kids tonight trying to decide should tomorrow be their last day, and would anybody know if I wasn't here? And we've had the privilege for almost 80 years to go to places nobody wants to go because we know who will meet there, kids just like this man. And watch what happens when this man sees Jesus. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him, and shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Does it surprise you, his response? It did me. 
You would think someone with all these issues, when he sees Jesus, he would run away from him. But notice he doesn't. He runs to him. There's something in the heart of every one of us, put there by the one who made us, to run to know who God is, to run toward him, to want to know if he's real, to want to know what he thinks about us, to want to know what life is supposed to be about. And so he runs to Jesus. You also realize quickly, he knows some facts about Jesus. He calls him by the right name, Jesus, son of the most high God. Check, correct. There are kids throughout the Carolinas because it's the Carolinas who know the right information about Jesus. They could tell you about Easter and Christmas. They could quote Bible verses to you, but they have come to the wrong conclusion like he did. Swear to God you have not come to torture me. There are kids in your communities, in your schools, who think Jesus has come to torture them. That if he were to show up at their school, if he were to walk in their hallways, every step would kind of rattle the walls. He'd carry a Bible about this big. He'd look at you like, I know what you did last weekend. And they would run away for almost 80 years. Young Life has had the privilege to stand before kids and let them know there's been no more attractive person than Jesus Christ. If you could know him, if you could see him, if you could know who he is and how he feels about you, you would not run away. You would run to him. It's the greatest privilege in the history of humanity that we get to share that story with kids. And watch what happens in the conversation Jesus has with this man. And Jesus asks him, what is your name? And the man said, my name is Legion, for we are so many. What's your name? It's a normal thing you would ask when you first meet someone. What's your name? How long had it been since anyone asked this man that question? You realize by his answer he didn't know his name, or else he decided it didn't matter. What's your name? He answers, defining himself by the forces out to destroy him. Legion means so many in here. We're so many in here out to destroy me. He didn't even know who he was anymore. What would happen if you walked the halls of middle schools and high schools and colleges in North Carolina and South Carolina and asked kids, what's your name? And they answered like he did, defined by the forces out to destroy them. Here's some of the things they might say. What's your name? My name's Alcoholic. I go by All-American. You can call me Abandoned. I prefer Anorexic. I'm Academic. My name is Abused. I like Atheist. My name is Addicted. Athletic. Call me Agnostic. My name is All Alone. I go by Angry. Those are just names that start with A. For over 80 years, Young Life's had the privilege to walk the halls of middle schools and high schools and colleges and call kids by name, to represent the God who knows them, that made them to have an identity. And I've seen it happen. You have too. Where kids will stop dead in their tracks because someone like you calls their name. Their mouths will drop open. They'll turn around and go, how'd you know my name? It's the first way to communicate the gospel to a kid is to know them by name. And then a strange thing happens. You ever ever read the Bible and read parts and go, I don't get that. This is one of those parts for me. I read it and I go, okay, I I don't really get this. Evidently, there were some pigs nearby, about 2,000 of them, one for every one of you. It's a lot of pigs. 
And they're just doing whatever pigs do. And Jesus says to these forces within this man, come out and go in the pigs. And they do because he's God. And they go in the pigs, and the pigs go jump off a cliff, and they drown. Well, that's some weird stuff going on there. We don't do that in young life. If you do that, please stop. But if we could corral all the forces out to destroy kids and put them into any one living being, that living being would self-destruct immediately. So you can imagine this caused quite a stir, and so they went in town and told everybody in town what had happened. And so everybody in town comes out to see for themselves. It doesn't say this, but I imagine as they're coming out, they have to walk past a whole bunch of dead floating pig carcasses. You can't hide 2,000 dead pigs. So you can imagine that scene. But it was nothing compared to the scene they saw when they get to Jesus. Listen to what they see. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting, dressed, and in his right mind. Sitting, dressed, and in his right mind. Sitting. They'd never seen this man sit before. He was always running through the tombs. Now he's sitting. It's as if he's at peace. He's dressed. Another gospel says he had no clothes. So now the naked, crazy man that ran through the tombs is dressed and sitting, and then this wonderful phrase, in his right mind. It means he knew who he was. Wouldn't you love to have seen that look? Wouldn't you love to have been there and watched? That's transformation. That's a life change before your very eyes. Have you ever seen that before? You have. I have. You've been to Young Life Camp. You've seen transformation before your very eyes. Years ago, a dad came to pick up his daughter who was at camp and had to leave right after club was finished the last night. They were going on vacation somewhere. So he's there, and it's the say-so night, and they ask any kids that have trusted Jesus this week, given their heart and life to Jesus, to stand up. And it's one of those nights where it looks like the whole room's standing. It was over 100 kids that stood. This dad could not believe his eyes. He went and found the area director, and he goes, has this ever happened before? The area director said, it happens every week. I don't want to take for granted what God does at Young Life Camp or in every week of the year in Young Life. But we are privileged to see what we get to see. We get to see transformation before ever. We get to see things that pastors in pulpits have never seen. Transformation right before our very eyes. And you would think, after they see this man sitting dressed in his right mind, that they would have the biggest celebration the region of the Gerasenes has ever had. They would have a party like no other parties. But they don't. In fact, it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says this, And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Jesus, you got to go. You can't stay here. Please leave. Why in the world? Why would they ask Jesus to leave? Is it possible that they lived in a culture where animals were more important than people? Is it possible that they lived in a culture where money and profit was more important than human life? Can you imagine a culture like that? I'm sure you can. We live in one. So Jesus, he'll never stay where he's not invited, so he gets in the boat to leave. And it says, as he's getting in the boat, the man 
begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him. It's the only time in the New Testament you find Jesus not allowing someone to come follow him. He says, no, you stay. In fact, he says this, go home to your family, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis, which means 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I was in Nicaragua last May. Mission leadership of Young Life went down there. Young Life is global, by the way, and it's over 100 countries. We were down there with for a leadership time, and Nicaragua was going through hard times to pray for the people and staff and volunteers in Nicaragua. But they had one afternoon, they had a big field and a bunch of games to play, and probably they didn't know how many kids would come. There must have been 800 to 1,000 kids. And so I'm out there trying to just kind of hang out with kids as an old guy. And I'm playing octoball with a bunch of kids from Nicaragua, trying not to get hit. And there's a boy next to me, and we bumped into each other a couple times. And one time we bumped heads. And so I'm trying to say I'm sorry and and thinking sign language for I'm sorry. And he's thinking that's sign language for you're an idiot. Uh, And so I'm finally trying to communicate with him. And and I see him a little bit later. I think I'm going to try to get to know this kid. And so I walk up and I say, uh, I think think the word in Spanish for name is nombre or something like that. It says nombre. And he goes, my name is Isaac. Going, Come on, dude. But I thought, he'd been waiting for someone to ask him. My name is Isaac. How many kids in the Carolinas are waiting for someone to ask them? What would have happened if they'd have stopped after the storm? What would they have missed? What would the man have missed? Can you imagine the reunion with his family? After that, he went to 10 cities and told 10 cities how much Jesus had done for him. 10 cities wouldn't have heard the gospel if they'd turned back. What would happen if you turned back? Young life is hard. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Young life is hard. It's fun. It's great. We laugh a lot. But it is hard. It's hard to go after kids that reject you. It's hard to get close to kids and have your heart broken by the things that break the heart of God. It's hard to see the pain in their lives and be unaffected by it. It's hard. I have a friend who's been on staff a long time, and he says, I quit Young Life about twice a month. How often do you? You probably have lots of reasons to quit. If you're on staff or committee, or a leader, a volunteer, there are lots of reasons to quit. This is just hard. But what would you miss if you did? What kids wouldn't be reunited with their families? What cities wouldn't hear about the gospel because that one kid was going to go tell them? And what would you miss? You'd miss dancing on the waves. You'd miss knowing that the gospel you proclaim is the gospel that's also true for you. You'd miss discovering that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. Maybe you hear all that and you go, you know what? I still don't fit here. Like, I'm not funny like those two people were up here. I can't sing like all these folks can. I can't speak like young life people can. I don't have the young life personality. I I don't fit here. You're in good company if that's what you're saying. Moses, the greatest leader of the Old Testament. God called him to take his people out of Egypt. 
And when he called him, Moses pretty much said, hey, you got to send somebody else. In fact, he says, who am I that I should take your people out of Egypt? You know how God answers this question, who am I? He says, I will be with you. He doesn't answer his question because it's the wrong question. If you're going to fixate this weekend on who are you, if you look around and go, I don't, I don't stack up well with this crowd, it's the wrong question. The question isn't who are you. The question is who is God? And he wants to show you who he is. That's why he's called you on this trip. And by the way, Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I've heard the cries of my children. I'm familiar with their suffering. I'm familiar with their slavery, and therefore, I'm sending you. Same thing's true in the Carolinas. God has heard the cries of his children. He's familiar with their suffering. He knows the things that enslave them, and he's called you. Thanks for saying yes. We can't get to the destination Jesus has called us to unless you come with us. It's going to be an incredible trip together. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Well, thanks for listening to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. Hope you enjoyed John Vickery. Look forward to talk two and three coming on up. Mercy.